to throw. Wide open. It's Barkley. Into the end zone. Touchdown. Smith Schuster inside the 30. Stiff arm and he's going to go 97 yards for the touchdown. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the July 2nd episode. We are in July, and as always, we are ready to answer those fantasy football questions for you. I am Mike Randall. Follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. And today, folks, we welcome in the Swami of Konami, the great Rich Rebar of Sharp Football Analysis. Great mind. One of the leaders in the industry is going to give you so much information. He has the most robust answers to questions of anyone I have here on the mailbag. Follow him on Twitter at Lord Reeves. Lord Reeves, the court is yours. Welcome back. Oh, man, that's quite an intro to have to live up to. Uh, so a lot of pressures on me <laughs> right now. So uh, I appreciate the kind words. I always enjoy coming on. Uh, I always like doing anything with Rotoviz. You know, I kind of have some old ties to Rotoviz and I love everything you guys still do. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of people that have worked there before still have, you know, some linkage to Rotoviz as well. We still love everything that the, the, the brand stands for, even though they've ventured off. And the coaching tree of Rotoviz, in so to sense, is, is really turned in so many jobs in the industry. Um, so I always love coming back and I always love coming back and doing these mailbag shows, kind of all the questions you put together and the audience puts together. So my yearly visit here uh, is upon us and I'm ready for it. Rich, Rotoviz is great. I just keep showing up like Costanza waiting for them to change the locks, but I keep getting in here to the, the mailbag host. So we got the microphone and uh, we'll keep coming till they, till they lock me out. Always a pleasure to have you on, man. You're killing it at Sharp Football Analysis. I'm just curious, how did things go during the pandemic last year? And, and what are some of the great things? I know there's a lot you got in store for us this year. Yeah, I mean, the uh, pandemic actually, surprisingly, you know, with this time last year, no one really kind of knew what was going to happen. You know, would we have a season? If we did have a season, you know, how manipulated would it be? And, you know, we kind of got through relatively as unscathed as possible. The NFL really stuck their head in the sand and really pushed through on a couple of situations. But, uh, you know, we actually had a little bit of growth in year two, which was nice, consider all things considered. Looking forward to year three and some of the stuff we have, you know, planned. Obviously, the the book is coming out. You know, Warren's big, massive, you know, encyclopedia that he puts out every year that I get to take part in is coming out. And then we're moving the old stat site that exists on that older website over to this new site and give it a new fresh coat of paint and new stuff. Um, but, you know, when you talk about the pandemic in just general, what it did for the NFL season last year, I mean, the NFL was already kind of trending towards being a uh, more offensive efficiency driven, you know, league. And 2020 just kind of broke the dam with everything kind of considered. I mean, you look at the minimal crowd impact last year. Uh, for the first time in NFL history, road uh, quarterback performances out kicked home quarterback performances, which is really wow. crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, they out kicked them at yeah, yards per attempt, touchdown rate, passer rating. Uh, road quarterbacks were just better. Uh, offensive holding, the league just decided not to call last year. It was called just 1.8 times per game. It was the lowest rate since penalty data has been tracked since 1995. Uh, you know, uh, quarterbacks were sacked uh, just 4.4 times per game, uh, which were 141 and 146 times fewer than the previous two NFL seasons, which ties into that holding, you know, kind of penalties. Uh, so there was a lot that kind of went into last year, you know, no offseason training, no home fields. The league decided not to call penalties, and it turned out the most historic scoring season in NFL history. Uh, so, I mean, we'll, we'll see what kind of rollover we have. Typically, when the NFL has spiked and had these 
outlier years in scoring. There's been some regression to the mean immediately. Uh, we definitely can draw those easily kind of the, those points of, you know, the home field and offseason kind of pulling some stuff back. The penalty stuff is just a mixed bag. Who knows what the league's going to call, like, in regard to that stuff uh, this year. Uh, but I definitely would expect this year to kind of come back and not be as quite as high scoring of a year as we saw last year. Nobody wants penalties, Rich. I mean, no one's no. sitting there, especially in fantasy <laughs> football. And I, I can tell you, the book you guys put out, Warren's book, is tremendous. I already ordered it. And what happens, man, is I get a six-pack. I'm on the beach making sure my kids do not drown in the ocean or get attacked by a shark. And I am <laughs> reading it every summer. And I'm going to be doing so, as I told you, down the Jersey Shore. It, it's just – it's a labor of love. I know it is. But it's so great for all the fans. Yeah, I mean, he put so much work into that. I We contribute, myself and Dan Pazuta's the editor. He edits the whole thing himself, just one editor. Uh, and we have some other guys like Ryan McChrystal and Cleve TA that contribute. But Warren really is the dude doing all the lifting here. And, you know, he basically didn't sleep all of June to put this book out. <laughs> That's the move. And, and we get the benefit, man. Absolutely. Rich, we always hear right now, everyone's in the best shape of their life, right? That's the season we're in. I am not in the best shape of my life, but everyone else is. <laughs> and so we get the nonstop pictures of thighs across social media, starting with, I think it was Mike Davis, or maybe it's AJ Dillon. I'm not sure. So I want you to separate fact from fiction. What are some of the positive or negative rumors that you've heard that you think, you know, there's some teeth to this. This is not just your typical best shape or worst shape of their life season. What are some of the rumors? You know, Ben walking around with more ice than an igloo. Joe Mixon <laughs> evidently is never coming off the field in Cincinnati. Give us some that sort of perked your interest here as you were listening. Well, I can also say from my days of working at Roto World and, and you know, being able to behind the scenes and now the, the the blurbs are created and kind of the news that stuff's pulled from, you know, you always want to go into this, you know, and, and read these news blurbs and from a stance of like, you don't want to look at any, you want to actually look at things that are actually just reporting and not things that are just basically subjective opinion, uh, which is mostly what we have during this time of the year, because really they had just had OTAs, real training cramps have been kicked off. A lot of stuff is more opinion based. I can tell you some stuff I want to believe in some yes. stuff. Maybe I'm not buying and, yep, you know, yep. uh, you know, definitely the Joe Mixon narrative does seem to have, I believe some legs to it just because when you look at the depth chart behind Joe Mixon, I mean, they, they do sign Samaj P. Ryan to a fairly, you know, decent contract, but we know what Samaj P. Ryan is at this point. He's going to be, you know, a, you know, a tertiary, you know, backup running back if Mixon was to get hurt. But then the rest of this depth chart, Travion Williams, Chris Evans, a sixth round pick, Puka Williams, undrafted for Asian, Jock Patrick uh, has been on a bounce around a couple teams practice charts already so far. Uh, there's not a lot behind there. So removing, you know, kind of Gio Bernard, the one tangible asset that the Bengals had and who was a had a, a supreme strength as a pass catcher in the NFL and removing him from the equation kind of opens the door for Mixon. I don't think this will reach the levels of, you know, the Bengals of kind of hitting on like this is like the seed. We're going to have CJ Spiller the ball until he pukes. Uh, right. But, you yes. know, you already look at Mixon's usage last year. He was already way up. I mean, prior to the injury he had last year, he was he had the most touches in the NFL. He was second in touches per game. He was running a career high 21.3 pass routes per game. And now you remove Gio Bernard and you look at this depth chart. Everything kind of points to, yeah, they're, like it makes sense because it has to. Uh, on the other side of it, like there's like a, a one foot in, one foot out thing is the Saquon Barkley stuff. Yep. If, if, if Saquon Barkley is active week one and he's healthy enough to be active week one, 
I don't believe there will be a scenario where the Giants can just like leave him on the bench long and like reduce his touches. Uh, we've seen this happen a couple times, you know, to elite backs. Adrian Peterson and Jamal Charles specifically came back in the first couple games. They're eased in off their ACL injuries. And then, you know, obviously uh, Adrian Peterson wins MVP that year. Uh, Jamal Charles is having 1,700 yards. You look at the Giants, if they were prepared to really kind of reduce Saquon's workload, I think they would have made more tangible moves to kind of have more insurance behind Saquon. Uh, because especially with what happened to them last year, when Saquon goes out, they're basically rotating, given Alfred Morris, Wayne Gallman, Devontae Freeman carries. And then this year they just come in and they draft Gary Brightwell, who's basically a special teams player that Joe Judge says they drafted him based on special teams. And they signed Devontae Booker, who's like the same thing, another throwaway backup guy. If they had really like had like really pressing concerns of Saquon Barkley and really concerned about his workload through the entirety of the course of the season, I think they would have made more tangible moves, or at least I would have. <laughs> you know, I can't really give the Giants too much credit, I guess. Uh, but, you know, I, if Saquon's healthy and he's on the field week one, I believe he'll play his way right back into that workload of – uh, the top running backs in the league. And then the other thing I really want to believe uh, is the Antonio Gibson stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, obviously when you look at what he did his first year in the NFL, it was a supreme positive. The biggest question mark we had Antonio Gibson was, how is he going to transition from being this kind of, you know, almost like a gadget slot player, get, getting carries strictly out of the shotgun player at Memphis uh, to being a full-time NFL running back? And that's what he did uh, in, in year one. You know, he had 170 carries, uh, missed two and a half games, basically, essentially, you know, three full games, uh, really handled the workload well. He was a goal line back. He was an efficient, uh, efficient goal line back as well. And the one thing we didn't see him do was th- we thought was his biggest strength come the NFL was, you know, being utilized in space and in the passing game. So him just answering the question of the answering the biggest question we had of being a functional you know bell cow running back while knowing he still has that spade in his deck to be a guy that can be used in space and, and grow um the real question is just you know how much do they trust him in pass protection this year which is you know we, we always hate for fantasy because it's a little bit of misnomer how these guys get used you know in pure passing situation these guys are running pass routes instead of blocking uh but coaches take these guys off the field we saw this with ceh last year and daryl williams from opening week one we saw it with cam Akers and malcolm brown i mean malcolm brown had the second most touches on third down in the nfl last season and it happened yeah. with gibson and, and jd mckissick last year i mean gibson had 11 third down touches all season long uh, so it, that'll be the, the one linchpin, but like if he does open up and they, and they extend his role, I mean, that offense is just going to be better. The tide's going to rise. They've got more playmakers. Uh, they've got a, a little bit better quarterback situation. I think people are a little over their skis around Fitzpatrick, but it's definitely a better situation. Uh, and Gibson kind of has that archetype of what you look for, 230 pound back. He catch the ball. He's an explosive player. If he were to just get those three down opportunities, uh, the wheels will definitely be up. That's a very good point about Antonio Gibson right now. And you also mentioned Barkley, both guys, great values. Right now, Saquon Barkley, underdog, best ball, is going as RB5. Rich, this is a player who had 91 receptions as a rookie. And listen, he's had the injuries, but that's a value right there that he's actually, you you can get him, you know, if wide receiver, tight end, Travis Kelsey goes ahead of him. He's like a running back five or six. And Antonio Gibson right now on underdog fantasy, if you're looking at his ADP, running back 14 after Najee Harris. So I like them both. Gibson and Barkley, both versatile, right? And the passing game could really raise their floor and their ceiling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the Saquon stuff, uh, and I get why people are, are a little more skeptical. I think more more of the industry has become cognizant of just to not be completely optimistic on players coming off of injury. And it took a long time to kind of get there and to kind of fly in the face of that right now. But everyone after Christian McCaffrey 
it kind of has some red on their ledger in yes. the first round. Uh, you know, people talk, people don't even talk about like Dalvin Cook's never played a full season. He has a, a shoulder. He has this chronic shoulder injury that, you know, basically all the doctor people that I follow seem to suggest it's going to be something that stays with him for his career. Uh, you know, Ezekiel, it's 26 years old. I'm a pro pro on Zeke situation this, this, this year. I think everything kind of went against, went against him last year. But Saquon's the youngest of all these guys. We know he's an a, a elite pedigree kind of prospect. He was literally arguably one of the best running back prospects we ever had from an athletic and production standpoint. If like anyone can kind of kind of overcome it, it's him. And like I said, the first round this year, as opposed to previous years, I mean, you get one player deep and it's like you can kind of find some reasons not to like a player. Uh, so, I mean, he just kind of fits into that mold where he's got his one thing that's the red on his ledger as well. But I think when you're talking about players, if the probability to be the number one overall scorer in fantasy football, Saquon would be one of the top four or five guys you'd get to. I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener, and as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Road of His website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate the those fantasy leagues in 2021 yeah perfect segue with dalvin cook the injury and alexander madison i've always talked about handcuffing running backs for years and i found that it worked for me about five or six years ago when really the backup was a one-to-one backup but there's so much vagueness and it's a nebulous Mm -hmm. backfield for so many teams you just wrote an article about it looking at handcuffing running backs and you basically discovered if i read it right that if it does work it's probably not going to be worth it unless you grab that handcuff very late in drafts because you're not getting any value talk about what you found with your handcuff history article yeah, not even handcuffing, but you know, uh, this being a road of his podcast, it's uh, the home of, of zero RB. Yep. Uh, so there's zero RB in complete, uh, you know, implications here too, as well, because it's, you know, when do we draft these running backs? And even for zero RB, uh, most people don't stay on the horse long enough. You know, they draft uh, running backs from spots that still uh, are pretty sketchy and haven't yielded results. Uh, you know, when I turned all these stones over for this article, it definitely showed that, you know, the, the later is better. Uh, just some kind of quick bullet points in the article because I want you to check out the article. Uh, but basically handcuffing mistakes is basically handcuffing first round running backs has rarely paid off. And you hit the nail on the head in the intro of why it really does. There are only so many of these resources of these three down backs that do everything. Their backups are not those guys because they right. would be on their, either doing right. it for their team. Right. They'd be cutting into that workload from that lead, lead guy or they'd be somewhere else doing it. Some team would try to poach those guys away. So you like said, Alexander Madison's a great example because anytime he's taken over for Dalvin Cook, the Vikings have used him in an early down role along with a guy that plays a third down role. It's been Amir Abdullah uh, the past few seasons. But remember last year he came in in the Falcons game. Uh, Dalvin Cook was going to miss that game. They go down 21 nothing right away. He plays very basically no snaps the rest Excellent of the way. Point. And, you know, he, he it's, it's just all the – it's just all the backups in the passing game because they're just playing catch up. And then in week 17, Dalvin Cook misses. 
uh, because they just shut him down and they lead the entire game and Madison goes bananas. Uh, it's happened to Mike Boone the year before too when Madison missed too. They fell behind and Mike Boone, you know, ends up Amir Abdul plays more snaps because they're trailing. Uh, but that's that's the number one reason why it typically never happens. The the backup running back to these elite alpha backs never inquire it acquires that same role typically. Um, and then the other bullet point is that most handcuff hits come from the double digit rounds and are very rarely ever top 100 picks. I mean, look at it all. Team running back twos or later, regardless whether they're attached to a first rounder or not, uh, there's a 52-player sample of top 100 picks over the past decade. Uh, among those 52 players, just 17 uh, finished the season higher than their positional ADP. Just 15 ended up with a top 24 season, and just five ended up with a top 12 campaign. Uh, so very rarely do you even get the situation that it leads into next is that team, we, we always want to target ambiguous backfields, but not high-priced ones. I mean... Uh, you know, so when you're combining the, like backups that are top 100 picks, but RB ones that are also you know top 100 picks, very rarely have those yielded results as well. And there's there's four teams this year that apply to that right now. Both Cardinals backs, both Broncos backs, both 49ers backs, and both Tampa Bay Buccaneers backs are backs that kind of fall into these conditions right now. Uh, it's actually occurred 20 times over that same 10 year sample. Um, and among that that 20 team sample, it's had to, it's produced just three RB one scoring seasons. Uh, there has been some floor for 13 top 24 seasons but you're not getting those home run picks people right now are debating between Raheem Mostert and Trey Sermon saying well if that guy's the lead back he's gonna win my league very rarely has that paid off uh in in that kind of play out uh those guys then tend to hurt each other over the course of the season more than uh one guy just walks into a, a real workload because we tend to overvalue running back injuries missing bulk of time you know we had Chris McCaffrey miss all that time last year but typically it's guys either missing like a week like Zeke last year or a two-week sample or maybe a three to four week sample very rarely do we just see guys hand over like 12 games to another player uh and that's what happens in these situations I mean you might have a week where Trey Sermon leads the backfield if Mostert misses a game to like a hamstring but when they come back they probably hurt each other we saw with the 49ers backfield off and on last year between you know Jeff Wilson and Mostert and kind of that you know uh, the piggybacking but uh, and then, you know, the last thing is you want to target uh, handcuffs that, like I said, not just deep handcuffs, but are tied to these RB1s that go outside of the top 24 at their position. Uh, that those have been like the most fruitful, fruitful results. And uh, those guys are not sexy. They're not going to be sexy games. When you look at the names that are on that pick, but uh, on that list this year, you're like Ramondre Stevenson. There's a reason yeah. he goes that low. Tevin Coleman. There's a reason he goes that low. Uh, it's, it's not defending those players. When you're making blind bets, like those are the spots that have given the, the most opportunity to players. We tend to overvalue some of those guys that you think like miles Gaskin last year with Jordan Howard, he was, you know, the top Miami dolphins pick, but we were taking him at you know RB33 last year that we were, we were cognizant that like hey Jordan Howard he yeah he, he's the lead back there but like we're going to discount him and you're starting to see that now with like Mike Davis and Gaskin now is in the inverse role this year where we may overvalue the the projections that we're putting on those guys because we look at their depth charts and they say oh well that's the lead back uh but there's a lot more fragility based on just the talent those guys have displayed over the course of their careers uh to open more runway for some of these players like Quadriolison or you know uh like I said Ramondre Stevenson or Tevin Coleman uh in that bucket of guys yeah, critical point there about week six for the Vikings with the game script. Madison, I remember, was a massive DFS player. Oh, yeah. Falcons <laughs> get up 20 to nothing at Minnesota at halftime. What does that translate into, folks? Madison, 10 carries, 26 yards. Passing game, Justin Jefferson went bananas. 
Thielen caught a touchdown. Madison, one reception, four yards. So when you're looking at these backs, especially in DFS also, you do have to consider game script, Rich, because that's a perfect example. He was he killed people in DFS that week. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we talked about it, too. Like, whenever you get that, and, you know, this is more take, I guess we can harp on this in season. But always when someone ever is chalky, man, you have to think of what's the pivot in these situations. What if the field is wrong? You know, if Madison's going to be, you know, 40% owned uh, in, the, in that bricks, then what does that mean? Well, that means probably Justin Jefferson, Adam Thiel, and Kirk Cousins inversely end up going well, doing well. And uh, you've got to, you got to find your leverage that way. Rich, sometimes that leverage is so easy. (laughs) I've done it with, with betting over at Action Network in the NBA playoffs right now. Guy puts out a big performance like Paul George, bet the under the next game. Just do the opposite of what you think is going to happen. It works. I'm going to use the flip side of that running back argument for the, the player who I think is the antithesis of all this and i have a dynasty question here from Camo in utah he's a transplanted browns fan and his question is what do you do with kareem hunt and dynasty or even redraft chubb is great but hunt is in that no man's land he is not going late he's not even going moderately late he's pretty early and he's a player last year who again does produce when he's out there, but with Chubb, he's limited. He had 841 rushing yards. That was 15th among running backs. He had 38 receptions. That's 16th. He's not top 10, but his ADP is always high. What do you do with Kareem Hunt under that sort of umbrella there of where you spend and where you don't spend in dynasty and or redraft? Yeah, Kareem Hunt's a little tricky because everyone's kind of right at once on him, right? Like if you're down on Kareem Hunt, you, there's an argument to be right. And if you're pro Kareem Hunt, there's an argument to be right. He was he was one of those guys that actually was a top 100 pick as an RB2 that hit in that previous sample we were talking about. Uh, he was, and it is again part of kind of this unique circumstance where he and Nick Chubb, they last year were just the third set of backfield teammates to have an ADP of the fifth round or higher over the past decade. The other two were D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart, and then Sony Michelle and James White in 2019 after James White comes off of the, the huge 2018 season. Uh, War Hunt, like kind of people treat him, he offers that flex value and then that handcuff upside that we kind of saw last year, which is why you don't see him drafted in like that range of like true zero RB like targets. Uh, he closed last season, he said RB10 overall scoring, but was just the RB22 in points per game. Uh, once Nick Chubb returned in week 10, he was out touched by Nick Chubb, 146 to 103. He was the RB 29 or lower in five of those eight games. So the flex position wasn't even like a great flex usage because I know you wrote about this piggybacking off of something that we've talked about on the show and from previous articles I've done. Having just average running back production in your lineup on a weekly level is some of the worst stuff you can have. It's rich. Your, it's vegetable your, lasagna is what it is. Okay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yep. So, so I find myself, uh, you know, not drafting Kareem Hunt because, well, one, I'm taking wide receivers by the time Kareem Hunt's going off the board and I'm hammering wide receivers at that point. But also, I just don't want to get stuck with average wide receiver or running back production and banking on an injury to have the elite running back production uh, from a fifth round pick. You know, it's it's hard for me to, to say, like, I'm drafting a guy just to give me the worst tangible weekly asset you can have in your fantasy lineup uh, which is running back floor performances uh so but i i totally get it i understand why he's in this unique spot uh from a talent perspective too and the situation why he was placed in the situation he was in uh for his off-field stuff uh typically that like a player of his talent wouldn't be in the situation he is in um but also i do find that he is a little bit overrated by the community and his his standalone value i believe is a little oversold by the community rich salt or no salt on a margarita? 
Oh, I, I'm a no salt guy. So you want more in the drink. You don't need the fluff. Rich Rebar does not need fluff around the rim. What he needs is the more stuff in the drink, right? Robust drink, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I need a little more drink. I don't mind the salt. Like if you served me the salt, but I'm going to turn it down. Uh, we have a, a, a real famous like Great Lakes Christmas beer up here too. It's uh, called Great Lakes Christmas Ale. And they do the salt uh, cinnamon sugar rims. And it's fine, but I, I'm going to turn it down if it's an option. I don't really need it. Question here on Twitter from... <laughs> at, uh, at underscore NFL style, Johnny W says, love the show. Thank you, sir. Rich, is there an under the radar type player that you target in last round of best ball mania drafts? And he's wondering, is it better to grab the floor guy like Adam Humphreys or a risky high ceiling play like a Cornell Powell? Uh, I tend to shoot for the upside and Hayden Winks had a, a, a tweet on this uh, a few days ago. I think if you scroll his timeline where he shows, uh, the amount of edge you're getting like per pick. And he showed like, you're just not getting a lot out of the late, out of late round picks to begin with. So why not just shoot big? You know, uh, that's the way I see, uh, treat it on average. We're not getting a lot out of those picks. So I'm going to leave Adam Humphreys on the table. Now I think you can make an argument too, that when you do hit on those guys that uh, end up maybe having a larger role that we have, they can be a little more glue, but uh, I want to go into some, uh, some situations where the guys can actually try to, you know, win a league for me or, or maybe carve out of that odds are they aren't, but Hey, uh, I'm, more swing from the heels especially in best ball uh, formats is there a wide receiver rich that you find yourself getting in best ball a lot of exposure in best ball draft doesn't have to be a late round guy but maybe a, a player that you find yourself attached to the reason i'm asking is my guy is cooper cup i find in every single yeah, draft like that. that i get i usually go anchor rb with the top running back first and then i hammer wide receivers and i just see cup as a huge value because i see positive touchdown regression coming is there a wide receiver that you find yourself getting a lot of exposure to in best ball yeah, I mean, my two highest uh, drafted players so far and best, actually my top three looking at it right now, my top three highest players are wide receivers. They're Robbie Anderson, uh, Jerry Judy, and Julio Jones. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the Judy argument's easy to make. Year two guy was high pedigree, ran into the disaster of a situation. No team had a lower rate of catchable targets than the Denver Broncos last year uh, between the triumvirate, uh, the, the QB Cerberus of Drew Locke, uh, Brett Rippian, and Jeff Driscoll that we saw take the field last <laughs> Brett year. Brett Rippian. Um, yeah. Remember, he started that yes, Thursday night yes. game where Sam Darnold had that ridiculous Konami run, like the most ridiculous <laughs> run. I didn't even think Sam Darnold was capable of that run at any level. It was like the most, that, that play stands. I'll never forget that Sam Darnold play, yeah. no matter if he's ever good again or not. But Teddy Bridgewater and the Panthers, uh, they were seventh in catchable target rate. If we can just get Teddy in, and I believe it it won't take long for Teddy's style of play to adhere himself to a coach like Vic Fangio, yep. where Vic Fangio just doesn't want to lose game. Remember Vic Fangio was the defensive coordinator when the 49ers had Alex Smith mm -hmm. and uh, you know Jim Harbaugh. They were winning all those games by just not turning the ball over. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that eventually you know, Drew Locke will just – his turnovers will eventually – for a defensive-minded coach like Vic Fangio, especially a team that has everything in place but quarterback, I think when you look at it objectively on paper, um, that they're just eventually will turn to Teddy Bridgewater, unless they pull out some Hail Mary Rodgers trend, which I don't believe is going to happen at this point in the offseason. That was my follow-up. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm very high-rich on Denver. I agree. The defense, uh, I, I they're going to be very ball control. They have a good home field advantage. And listen, if the quarterback play is shaky, just surround them with weapons, and that's what Denver has.
Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, Robbie Anderson, I uh, just think just undervalued. Uh, you know, he's another guy. Didn't really score a lot of touchdowns last year, but Carolina should be a team that we project to anticipate to have more passing touchdowns this year. Just the, the, the targets for Anderson. I mean, they lose Curtis Samuel, and we get Terrace Marshall, who a lot of us like, but we still he's a rookie wide receiver. We don't know exactly how much opportunity he's going to take over. Uh, so they lose a 100-target player in Curtis Samuel. So you still have Robbie Anderson getting a lot of targets. Uh, just a nice, good glue floor guy for where he goes nothing exciting you know maybe the the, the remarriage to Darnold you know unlock something else I'm not really believing that I'm more just believing the his opportunity in the system that he has now and then Julio like he's kind of priced where I, I end up getting him a lot just because he's uh you know priced to where you can kind of play the age factor and say yeah uh that's factored in already for he typically goes in the fourth round a, a lot where I'm taking wide receivers and then a couple of reasons I think this is just a great fit for him in Tennessee. So Ryan Tannehill, uh, the past two years, is the number one quarterback in EPA on intermediate throws, 10 to 19 yards. A big part of that is because how much play action they run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Derrick Henry and teams obviously just can't help themselves from, from taking the cookie. Uh, <laughs> and the number one EPA wide receiver on those targets uh, is Julio Jones the past two years. So uh, I really like the marriage and the fit there. Uh, eventually the Titans are going to – have to have this reversion uh maybe they just keep getting away with playing offense the way they do but eventually whether it's it, you know hooker crook a derrick henry a derrick henry injury or just game script uh that they even actually have to throw more too uh because it is a volume loss for julio going from atlanta to tennessee any way you cut it uh but i do like the fit a lot and, and when julio played last year he was still really good and his full games played he averaged 100 receiving yards per game uh i think people are discounting how good he was still last year and then you're getting some of that age and injury risk priced in uh we'll see when you get to august how much redraft and seasonal uh julio jones i'll have but i do think that this is the time to, to pull on julio jones right now where he's going in drafts and in this format Rich, you are the Konami code man. And I have to ask you, I almost feel like you've changed the market so much, like that trading places orange juice scene. You've cornered the market that I almost think the pendulum is going too much in the other direction. I made a joke on Twitter the other day that if Usain Bolt came out and said, I want to try to be a quarterback, he'd be the QB3 and ADP by the time we hit August 1st. Are we now valuing it too much? And do you see any examples of maybe rushing quarterbacks that you feel are getting a little overvalued or even traditional quarterbacks who are too undervalued because they don't run? Or are you pretty much saying, listen, this is the new wave. If they can run, there's going to be value. I mean, we we could do a whole show on uh, ever, the the evolution of this, yep. uh, the the athlete that's come into the NFL because it's just you know more athletes are playing quarterback than before. Uh, so obviously we see that, and then the influence of being a more spread and space game. You know, the more collegiate you know principles are being put in the NFL. There's all these factors that have gone into just why rushing production is so high, and it's only continued to climb. Last year, last year quarterbacks set all time highs in, in league wide rate of rushing attempts, rushing yardage. And rushing touchdowns quarterbacks had 127 rushing touchdowns last year uh, which is 47 more than the year before uh, we're just starting to see it. And, and even this year the more the four the f- five guys that win the first round are athletic as well yeah. uh, you know outside of Mac Jones who and honestly Mac Jones's physical profile he didn't run a lot of Alabama but when you look at his pro day in his actual you know uh, physical results they were kind of impressive. Yes. He actually yes. was. He actually he actually was a little better athlete than I think people considered him. As totally in the, true. In the Absolutely. Yep. In the in the photos of him, you know, yeah, stuff okay, right, right, his, right. Belly, his belly out. Yeah. He's not the most in shape guy, but he was, he was a better athlete for his size. Um, we look at it last year among the eleven quarterbacks last year that averaged twenty or more fantasy points per game. Only Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady had single digit percentage of their fantasy production come via rushing. Uh, you know, 43 times last year, a QB scored 30 or more fantasy points in a game. 
game. Just seven of those games came with fewer than one rushing point. Ten came with just fewer than two. Uh, average was 7.4 rushing points per game. Uh, 21.2% of those points scored in all those games came via rushing. Uh, 25 of those 43 came with at least one rushing touchdown. Uh, it's really it, it's just really hard because it, it's so weighted. And if you get more guys running, the, the scoring is just weighted. I mean, you look at it, a rushing touchdowns with one and a half passing touchdowns. Uh, 10 rushing yards is the equivalent of 25 passing yards. There's just there's just a little edge until the scoring flips or you know, you're playing some six-point passing touchdowns to kind of neuter it a little bit. Uh, those guys are going to carry weight. Um you know, uh, I think that you you, you kind of were hinting on you know leading into just the, making it more of a like a where we are at Jalen Hurts kind of yes. he's kind of the limbo. Guy. I think he's very because, polarizing, Rich, because I think it can go right. one way or the other. Yep. Because the big thing is when you break the bank on these fantasy ceilings is you still need both. You have to have a guy that runs and throws. Uh, you know, which is what we kind of seen a late of late. You know, with, with Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson being the QB one the past two seasons you go back to like 2015 cam newton and 2010 michael vick their best fantasy seasons came when they came attached to their best passing seasons and those guys are really hard to kind of stop in dfs in seasonal weekly leagues you remember uh, i mean last year it was really hard to pay down at quarterback because those, those 30 point games i talked about you weren't gonna be able to get those you were uh, late round quarterback and quarterback streaming took a big hit last year because it's just hard to arbitrage those rushing points. And we might be able to do it this year because Lance and Fields are a little lower or Zach Wilson's a little lower. And, you know, kind of people don't know what we're going to get out of those guys. Maybe Taysom Hill starts and he's a little lower. Uh, but there aren't, you aren't a lot of arbitrage situations uh, in your fantasy drafts to get running quarterbacks. They're all at the top this year. Um, and I think with Hertz, it's, it's kind of a FOMO of what we just talked about, the, the two guys. Uh, we had breakouts from Josh Allen last year and breakouts from Lamar Jackson year before. Uh, guys that we knew were athletic had mobility, but no one really thought the passing seasons those players turned in the past two seasons were really in their high odds of range of outcomes. And then they had them and they broke, they just broke the bank. Uh, so people look at that and I think like Hertz in another season maybe have been like a, a high QB two, but because of the past two seasons, the, the way they played out, people don't want to miss out again. They don't, you know, people just don't want to, don't want to, to leave that on the table, that, that range of outcome to say, well, if this guy does put it together, uh, I'm, I'm leaving the potential, like, you know, top five quarterback on the board. And he was the QB six in point fantasy points per dropback last year, despite the kind of all the bugaboos. I think the, the case to make for Hertz is pretty easy. Uh, you know, no off season last year comes in just a disaster of a situation. I mean, no team had more offensive line injuries than the Philadelphia Eagles. Per Football Outsiders, they had 57.1 adjusted games lost due to offensive line injuries. The next closest team was Dallas. Brandon Brooks tore his Achilles prior to the season. Andre Dillard missed the entire season with a biceps injury. Lane Johnson missed nine games. Isaac Samulo missed seven games. Uh, by the end of the season, the Eagles used 14 different offensive line combinations. Uh, and then you look at this Eagles wide receiver unit that he took over, that he kind of came in with last year and Carson Wentz played with this earlier. They're 30th in the league in receptions per game, 29th in yardage. Uh, Greg Ward is their lead. Right. leads the team in oh, targets and receptions. Uh, Travis Fulgham, a guy they picked up off the street, leads the team in receiving yards, the rece uh, receiving unit, receiving yards. So, I mean, you know, you add Devontae Smith, one of the most, uh, you know, hyper-efficient, you know, wide receivers, you know, granted a little older, a little leaner, uh, but a guy that can get open and, and can stack production. Uh, so the, it's easy to make the argument, but yeah, there's a definitely an out where if you don't get the passing season from Jalen Hurts, he just then becomes a floor player and he doesn't deliver kind of where you're paying that QB nine ish price for him right now. But the reason he is that QB nine price, I believe is just the FOMO of what happened between Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen is that no one believed that those passing seasons existed. 
uh, and then they end up happening and people don't want to miss out again for a third year in a row. That's very fair. Well, well said. I love the argument. That's what I was looking for. And that's it. I, I just feel like he's going almost at his ceiling because I guess I don't believe in Philly. Coaching change, Sirianni coming over. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the unknown. But where do you have him right now, Hurts right now in your projections for, for top QBs? So I actually, uh, because I don't predict in- injuries, he does come out high, but I am a little lower, uh, right kind of where the field is in ADP, but I'm way lower in the dynasty market. I actually wrote a Jalen Hurts article earlier this offseason. You could find it, Sharpable Analysis, um, because I think the risk in one quarterback redraft leagues, you're not crippling yourself if he fails or becomes a floor yes. and you have to go back to the well. Uh, so you're not hurting. Superflex, a little different. If he does, you know, it makes it a little sketchier. You don't, I don't think I want him to be my QB1 in Superflex on any level. And if I do take him as my QB2 in Superflex, I probably will take a higher QB3 than I typically would. Uh, but then in Dynasty, I'm lower. I have him at QB19 in Dynasty just because there are just so many variables uh, that are unknown. You no, know, 2022 is, is far from guaranteed for Jalen Hurts. You, you brought up the new coaching staff that did it. You know, they're not attached to him. What if he doesn't develop as a passer? Uh, there's just a lot of question marks uh, for Jalen Hurts beyond this season uh, to, to, I think, that what he makes him a really good, like, super flex sell because you're probably not going to sell him one quarterback leagues. Um, I have moved him in a couple leagues. He was a second round pick last year in super flex leagues. So uh, I'm getting future ones. I'm just going to take my, you know, my profit and kind of see where it lies. Um, but yeah, I don't think that th- there's not a lot of risk. I think in one QB, you know, formats where he goes. But uh, I am a little higher on a couple other guys uh, that we'll probably talk about at some point during the show. Give me something, Rich, that you can't wait to do now that COVID hopefully is in our rearview mirror. Well, one we we were talking before the show. I can't. I haven't been on vacation yet. We're going in a couple weeks. We've been, uh, you know, stuck at home uh, for the past, you know, sixteen months, like every a lot of people. So we're going to the Cape. Uh, looking forward to that. And then the other thing is, uh, ties into this. It's just like, I can't wait for the kids to go back to school. man. Cool. <laughs> um, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of factors into that. Obviously I, I listen, I love my kids, but there's a uh, one thing. So my, my oldest is in high school and he's basically essentially now missed his first two years of high yeah, school. He'll be a shame. junior this year. That's critical. And, and, and yeah, I, the social aspect of school, I feel like that age is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, getting into high school, you know, what kind of friends you choose, what kind of paths you like, he's basically just been stuck at home. And as a, as a teenager, you know, uh, got his driver's license, nowhere to go, you know what yeah. I mean? Kind of this, you know, um, so I'm looking forward to him having the social aspect back uh, uh, in his, his young teenage as approaching adulthood level. And then my daughter, uh, I have an eight-year-old daughter and she just didn't do well at home. Her focus was just wasn't strong. She's like, she needs to be in the classroom. Yep. Uh, and and it, it, she just, she, her work took a step back last year. Uh, so it's not just, you know, having a little more free time and, you know, having, there's also a benefit for them being back in school uh, as well that I'm looking forward to them getting. My 11-year-old daughter had a couple of calls from teachers and, you know, they're always so nice. They call and I say, look, before we get started, she is the worst virtual student in the history of the world. I know that. So please, you don't have to give me the soft shoe or she's a great kid. And she is. But like, yes, I think she needs back in the structured classroom. Amen to that. Totally agree. Warren put out a tweet on Monday asking uh, on Twitter. It was a great one. A lot of responses. Which new play callers do people think have helped their offenses? So I'm going to kick it to you. 11 changes now, OCs in the NFL. Which ones stand out to you that say, you know, I think they could really do some good things with this new team? Yeah, it's, it's tricky because I'm not someone that really goes down the the coach narratives a lot. Definitely not on the transitive property stance like you see in these coats from Jets camp. You know, obviously the... Yes. All the stuff from Jets camp. Uh, you're a Jets guy or Giants guy? I can't remember. Uh, I, I am a former Cowboy guy. 
former Cowboy oh, okay. guy. Enjoyed it in college when they won the Super Bowls, but Jerry Those has just taken it in a wrong direction. So, no, totally unbiased on the New York teams. Please go ahead. Gotcha, gotcha. I knew you were in the New York area. I thought maybe you were one of the other. But, like, you see a lot of stuff where the, the people are just pulling stuff from the old 40, like the 49ers, Kyle Shannon teams, and just uh, putting it into the Jets situation. Like, we've been seeing this with the tight ends. Or, you know, we just saw the quote that came out, um, I believe it was yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on June 30th that talked about, you know, hey, they might play. They've been kicking around using Tyler Croft at tight end because the you know, the production that this offense got out of George Kittle. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Tyler, like, whoa. like, <laughs> like, let's not do any. Let's not base anything George Kittle did in the offense of the 49ers to, as transit of property for any of these Jets tight ends. <laughs> when you look at their depth chart. And remember, it used to be a knock on people, too, when they do these transit of property takes. Remember, forever, it was like people like, no, you can't draft a Kyle Shanahan tight end. They don't produce. Mm-hmm. And guess what happens when you got? George Kittle they started producing exactly. it's funny how funny how that works so I'm someone that always cares more about you know personnel and talent these coaching staffs have but I will say that when you just look at a situation though like what the Buffalo Bills had last year maxing out Josh Allen uh that's where I take like clear coaching influence and elevating a player I mean Allen's growth was definitely aided by getting him Stephon Diggs but when you look at how the Bills played offense they completely completely revamped how how aggressive they were and how they deployed Josh Allen uh they were they threw a league high 62% of the time on first down play calls. 48.8% of Allen's pass attempts came on first downs. It was the highest rate in the league. On those passes, he averaged 8.9 yards per pass attempt. On all of their downs, he averaged just 7 yards per pass attempt. Uh, the Bills also called play action 34% of the time on Allen's dropbacks. as the fourth highest rate in the league. He was just at 23%. Uh, which was 23rd in 2019 and 25% in 2018. Uh, using play action, he averaged 8.7 yards per attempt. He threw 17 touchdowns, just three interceptions using play action. And then the Bills also, in part, a part of our byproduct was getting Stephon Diggs. They reeled in his dependency on the deep ball. You know, you look at uh, Josh Allen's first couple years of his career, 11.5 yard eight as a rookie, 9.8 yards his second season, down to 9.1 last year. Uh, just 17% of his throws came on throws were 15 yards further downfield. That was 22% in 2019 and 30% as a rookie. And in turn, he completed, you know, his efficiency on deep balls when he did go deep, skyrocketed 48% completion rate on his passes as opposed to 38 point or 32.8% over his first two years in the league. So that's how coaching staff and coaching influence can elevate a player. That's how I see it. And the first player that comes to my mind looking at how he was used last year from a quarterback stance is just losing Anthony Lynn for Justin Herbert. I had some tweets about this a little bit too. Last year's staff had him throw just 35% of the time on first down. That was 39th in the NFL among starting quarterbacks. The chart, and But, but it's not like the Chargers were running the ball well either. They had the 10th highest run rate on first down, but they were 29th in rushing success rate on first down, and they were uh, 29th in yards per running play on those plays. So it's not like they even had incentive. This isn't like a Ryan Tannehill right, situation. This isn't the Titans with Derrick Henry. Time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So as a byproduct of that, they put Justin Herbert in just impossible situations. He led the league with 253 pass attempts on uh, non-first downs needing seven or more yards to go which is just crippling for quarterback production. Uh, it was 42.5% of his passes. That was the second highest rate of, of throws uh, on the season behind Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, but he was fourth in the league in yards for pass attempt and seventh in completion rate on those throws. We can't expect those things to just be sticky just because he was put in so many bad spots that the team can just willingly put them in bad spots again. You know, uh, Josh Hermesmeyer has done an article on this. I believe uh, PFF George has done an article on this too that shows in-pocket production from quarterbacks is a lot more sticky and we should expect uh 
Herbert to have more clean pockets based on the state of this offensive line than what it was a year ago. They only had three players play more than 10 games, and they were all bad ones. Uh, so, I mean, just ha- removing Anthony Lynn from the equation, not even giving Joe Lombardi any credit, but just putting re- removing those bad spots that he was in uh, from a year ago can help you know Justin Herbert really progress uh, in year two. Uh, some of the other ones that stand out, I think a lot of them are vague. So we got some first time guys. I mean, but the Arthur Smith shakeup is kind of unique. Uh, cause, cause when you look at Arthur Smith in Tennessee, how much credit do we give Arthur Smith for that? We don't know, right? Like how much pure credit do we give him? Uh, can he have the same excess in Atlanta? Will Tennessee now take a step back with him gone? Uh, those are all things we'll get a much better, better feel feel for this season. Rich, that Rich, that has, that has sort of played into why I like Ryan Tannehill because I can't see them skewing more run heavy than they were. Uh, to me, it's a wash, maybe the same. And if that defense takes a step back, which it may, I can see this even helping Tannehill with volume. No. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just, like I said, we just don't know how much to credit, uh, you know, for him because of the success. Obviously, there's good players there. Uh, you know, Ryan Tannehill did, you know, make a, you know, kind of a career transition and make a step up from what his Miami days are, though he's, he wasn't like Bortles-esque or anything. But they have a guy like Derrick Henry, who's a unique entity in the NFL. They have a good player in A.J. Brown. Uh, Corey Davis was talented. Johnny Smith was talented. Like, so they still do have talent in place there. I mean, Johnny and Corey Davis are gone, but you obviously now have heard of Julio Jones, who's, who is quite a talent himself. Uh, so it's just, we don't, it's really hard to just say that all happened because of our Arthur Smith. Sure, he helps and deserves some of the credit, but we'll get a lot more feel this year, kind of how much credit we could uh, kind of give him for those situations. And the guy I'm probably the most interested in out of all these moves is Shane Waldron, uh, just because I don't really know a lot about him. But if you look at the coaches he's coached under, he's coached under Sean McVay, he's coached under Charlie Weiss, he's coached under Josh McDaniels. it, it really sounds like from the based on the comments from Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf so far and, and OTAs that they're going to run a lot more of like a, a, a hybrid scheme where they're going to have a lot more intermediate and short passing than they've had in years past, uh, which is kind of exciting because, you know, that's been, ba- you know, it's been basically low volume Russell Wilson taking deep balls. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they incorporate that. And, you know, they add Gerald Everett and they add Dwayne Eskridge. Uh, to the fold there too. I'm excited to kind of see what he can do because there's obviously a lot of pieces we care about in that Seattle offense. Um, it's exciting. I would be excited if I was an offensive coordinator. I was inheriting Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett, you know, and Chris Carson. Uh, so it's, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do with those guys. Yeah, not bad at all. That, that's not to, to inherit them. That, that's the, that's like coming down on Christmas and seeing the for your first job. Like your first job as an OC, you get to like, oh, well, I, I, I can make this happen. Yeah, I can make it work. Sure. <laughs> if uh, if you're on Fear Factor, Rich, what's the one thing that you'd say? You know what? I'm out. I can't do this. Uh, anything involving the ocean or deep, uh, deep bodies of water. Mm. Uh, my number one fear in life, uh, just completely terrified. Just that, that feeling of not seeing and not knowing what's around you, uh, kind of the abyss, uh, us knowing more about basically like outer space than, than, than actually something on the planet, uh, frightens me. It just terrifies me, man. Uh, I've had just big phobia of large bodies of water. Uh, just scares me, man. Do you have a favorite spot to pick in seasonal leagues? I like the ends. Do you like the ends? Or I mean, except in Scott Fishbowl, where I guess in the middle is best because we have the three round reversal this year at, at Fishbowl. Do you have a spot that you like in seasonal leagues to draft? 
Where are you in the fishbowl Sierra? I'm at six. I'm, so at, I seven. I let, I'm at seven. I'm at six. So yeah, I always just let Scott pick for me. I never really am okay. I'm okay with <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, same, same. Uh, I didn't request anything, but I mean, obviously yeah, picking one seems to be advantageous. So I won't say that uh, anywhere, but three, I think, I think three is the toughest spot this year, right? I think we have a universal McCaffrey and people are on Dalvin. And if you like, you know, but three is like kind of the fulcrum point. Some people like Saquon, some people like Zeke, some people don't like any of those guys and they want to just jam Kelsey. in. Uh, if you're an FFPC, Kelsey goes a lot in that spot. Uh, that's kind of the one, the one spot that's kind of gray area because it could really look back if you pick a, in, in pick three a lot and you really brick that pick. Uh, it's <laughs> you're going to have a lot of regret, I think, uh, and there's a lot of question marks uh, to kind of pick there. I'd say that's my least favorite spot, and then anywhere else is kind of okay. You know, you came on the mailbag last year and you coined the great phrase for Kenny Galladay, the high cholesterol targets. I stole that the entire year on the mailbag yeah, please. Uh, and how he got those. How do you think his cholesterol is going to look uh, with Daniel Jones and with the Giants? Yeah, please, please do steal that. That's how we get these things to take off. Uh, I, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, I saw people, you know, fighting over, you know, monikers the other day and I don't want my monikers to be, I don't be concerned be misconstrued i want them all to come back to me <laughs> oh i always oh, credit but i stole i stole the credit absolutely uh yeah i think kenny Galley is interesting on a few reasons because what he said like he fits that archetype of guy look for those high cholesterol targets you know he's got the, the like big mike williams is a similar guy uh he's only received double digit targets in six career games uh but he's you know shown his upside because of those high cholesterol targets he's averaged 16.9 yards per reception uh 10.6 yards per target since entering the league i mean the the, he ranks 10th uh, in, in that group in yards for targets since the end of the league. He makes those money on those downfield targets. 34% of his career targets have come on throws over 15 yards downfield. Uh, that's 10th in the league since he entered the league. Despite Daniel Jones' shortcomings in both of his two seasons so far, the one area he did perform well, even last year, was he was a good downfield. The problem was they just didn't throw downfield a lot. They didn't throw. Yep. Uh, and that's because when you look at the, the personnel, man, I mean, uh, I think people overvalued Darius Slayton, you know, a mid-round, just kind of okay prospect. I think they overvalued his touchdown production as, as year one. I think he's an ancillary go-deep guy, not a guy that's going to carry an offense. He doesn't separate at all either for a vertical player. But then you have Sterling Shepard, uh, Evan Ingram. Uh, they lose Saquon for the entire season. They had no guys to push the ball downfield. The reason they didn't throw the ball downfield and why they made it such a priority to pay this exuberant contract to Kenny Galladay was they didn't have a downfield guy. So, I mean, adding him is going to increase Daniel Jones's deep ball rate. And the one thing about Daniel Jones, like he's not scared to throw into tight windows. And that's kind of what where Kenny Galladay wins too. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of uh, kind of law. Uh, also, when you look at Kenny Galladay too, when you look at this transition, there's no way to say it's not a downgrade going from Matthew Stafford to Daniel Jones. But Kenny Galladay also in an eight-game sample with Jeff Driscoll and David Blau was pacing for 60 catches, 1,100 yards, and eight touchdowns uh, in that eight-game sample. And Daniel Jones, I think, is still better than those players. Uh, and then the other thing I did, I, I just did a an article looking at our, our discounted team wide receiver ones in fantasy drafts. You know, are they are they valuable? And I showed that in the area of the draft where Kenny Galladay goes and Odell Beckham's in this tier two, in that wide receiver three area of drafts, that it's better to take team wide receiver ones than team wide receiver twos. They hit at almost a three times higher rate. Uh, so point. get those get those discounted wide receiver ones in that area of the draft, and that's where Kenny Galladay falls. Um, so I understand like why people are a little you know hesitant, you know, changing teams, definite quarterback downgrade. But I think there are some reasons to go back in on Kenny Galladay, even though. 
we know he's not going to be like a supreme, you know, he's kind of a faux alpha kind of a guy, right? Like, that's correct. Yes. But that, yep. but that's okay because that's where you're you're drafting him at wide receiver twenty five. That's you're getting as typically your wide receiver two on some teams, ideally a wide receiver three, and as your wide receiver three to have be a team wide receiver one uh, is something that can pay dividends off to just have blind faith and and, and take that squeeze. Time for redraft lightning round. Give me the player you prefer at half point PPR formats at the ADP. Start with the tight ends. Adam Troutman or Anthony Ferkser? Troutman going pretty early. Ferkser going a little bit later. Troutman or Ferkser? Uh, so I hate to hedge on you the first one, but uh, so if full PPR Troutman, if anything else, Ferkser. I think Ferkser is like this year's Tunyon. He won't be that efficient, and he's not going to get that much volume, but the types of targets he's going to get are going to be the targets you kind of want. He's going to run into these weeks where he has like a tight end one finish, but like he just regularly has like four to six targets per week. Two guys that are available later that sort of are unknown with huge upside. How about Cole Hartman or Curtis Samuel? I definitely like Curtis Samuel more. I just think he's a better prospect, more ways to win, more outs the type of player he is. And All right, then we go with Samuel. How about Samuel versus Robbie Anderson? I like Robbie A. Uh, like I said, I just hit upon a little bit earlier. He, you know, He's going to get a little more of a target bump probably with Samuel gone. Uh, probably score a couple more touchdowns this year. I have a lot more faith in his target share and his just offense in general. I'm going to change this next one off the show sheet. I said Ryan Tannehill or Matt Ryan. I think I know the answer. Would you say Tannehill there? Yeah, and uh, I have Tannehill. I don't know if this counts as a bold enough take because I suck at bold takes anyways because I'm so pragmatic. Uh, but I, <laughs> I think Tannehill is a better draft pick than Justin Herbert too. That was where I was going to go. I was actually going to go Tannehill or Herbert, so you would go Tannehill there. Yeah, I have Tannehill over Herbert. And last one, go to Pittsburgh and solve the dilemma. Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool? Oh man, uh, the, yeah, Twitter likes to fight about Deontay. I like Deontay Johnson, but listen, I chase Claypool in his archetype receiver is my siren song. So, I mean, there's just more ways to win. Like Deontay Johnson needs a lot of targets to be good. Chase Claypool doesn't, so he's got more ways to win. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I'm going to take Chase. In dynasty leagues, do you have a later round rookie pick, like round three or later, that you think can have a big fantasy impact this year? I think the most obvious guys are the Texans guys. I mean, I, oh, I, I think, gosh. well, well, I think Ramondre Stevenson is, is like one guy that we talked about just earlier. He fits like all the profiles of what you want to do in a late round running back, like the profile of guys that hit doesn't mean he's going to hit, but he just fits that profile. But I just think when you look at, you're still talking third round rookie picks, like guy, we're, we're drafting guys that people aren't expecting to play. But I think when you look at all the Texans guys, they all are going to play. Like Brevin Jordan is going to play. Nico Collins is going to play. Davis Mills is going to play. Davis Mills. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no way that Davis Mills, there's no way that Davis Mills doesn't play though this year. Like, unless Deshaun Watson is, is back, which no one's counting on. But there's no way the Texans are going to be good enough to just play Tyrod Taylor for 17 games. There'll be no incentive to, for them to do that. Why would they do that? When, they, when the first draft pick they took this year was Davis Mills, like they're going to play him at some point. Uh, so I think the Texan, the Texans guys are the guys that are going to play. And all you're looking for at that point of those drafts is like guys that are going to play. If you're asking me who's going to make an impact this year, I would say those three guys. And I know that that's not fun at all. No, it's a great call. <laughs> Third round pick from Stanford, Davis Mills, 6'4", 225. And that situation is a mess. I don't see, Rich, a possibility that Watson escapes without some sort of suspension here. He certainly isn't starting week one, but it's so nebulous that uh, there there has to be value. Listen, Blake Bortles was valuable. Someone is going to have to put points up and you know, they're going to have negative game script down in Houston. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, it's basically the equivalent of a expansion team. Uh, like the movie Major League is kind of like what exactly the Texans have done. They've got all these last leg veterans, right? Like these veterans had nowhere else but to sign the Texans. You know, where is Dante Moncrief getting a contract offer? Like, oh you know, like, it's, their, it's their last chance. So like, of course, they're going to sign there. Uh, I don't think it, I think what's interesting about the Texans, and I want to give them any credit because I don't believe that their front office deserves any. It'll be interesting to see if they can, like, move guys for, like, day three picks in the season. Like, you think, like, they signed Philip Lindsay. Well, if a team has, like, multiple injuries during the season, can they just trade Philip Lindsay for a day, day three pick? Can they trade Mark Ingram for a day three pick? Can they trade any of those wide receivers? Uh, can they, something more for Brandon Cooks. I think Brandon Cooks has to be a guy that's going to be that you just have to assume like as people will call about at some point during the season next year. He's like the one guy. Um, but yeah, it's a very much it reminds me of the movie Major League for sure. Like they just all these guys that they had signed, it's a predicament they were forced in because they have no money to spend and they have no draft equity uh, because it was torched to the ground and they just have to take the slow plan. Like this is good. This is a multi-year thing. Uh, for this franchise and getting it back on track. And these guys, this new regime is probably all just patsies. Like they're probably patsies uh, to get it going. And listen, Brandon Cooks, I've been critical of him in the past, but and he's played with great quarterbacks. We know that. But seven years in the NFL, he's got five years of 1,100 yards or more, had 1,082 or rounded up there when in 2017. But he's always produced receptions, 53, 84, 78, 65, 80, 42 in a abbreviated year. And last year, 81 Eleven fifty and seven receiving touchdowns. So I, someone's going to want him. I think in best ball, you draft a lot of Brandon Cooks right now just for the range of outcomes, and it could never happen. But I think as ADP for just the, the in season trade potential of him, like he could be totally a guy that like he gets moved in season. Totally agree, Rich. It's been fantastic, man. Last question, then I'll get you out of here. You say you're not good with bold predictions. I say that's poppycock. <laughs> I want the Rich Rebar bold prediction for the 21, 2021 fantasy season. So my my bold take is going to be that the I don't know how bold it is, but that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a, a top ten offense again, but produce no league winning fantasy assets basically, That's which is really crazy. unheard of. Uh, just because it's the quintessential in a best ball team, they've got competition everywhere, and they've got a quarterback that is going to take what wins on a per game and per down basis. Uh, so that's that's where I go. I know that's that's another. I cop that again. No, that's a good one because they're very popular and people are taking stabs. They're like fishing off a pier with Tampa Bay. Oh, I like Mike Evans. Oh, it's a Godwin bounce back. Oh, Antonio Brown's great value, folks. The answer could be that no one is going to hit that. And listen, if Brady takes a step back, which I know is unheard of, but this isn't cocoon. Definitely, Rich. There's a way that these Tampa Bay offensive pieces. I mean, you got a split backfield possibly with Rojo and Fournette, and there's a lot going on that Giovanni Bernard, right? So I, there's a path that could happen. Tight end, tight end too. Oh, of course. Oh my god. Yeah, I like that. Tom Brady has reached his Kevin Bacon stage. He's just like he's like full looks like Kevin Bacon mode now. Like yes. he's like mid '80s Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Folks, Rich Rebar on Twitter at Lord Reeves. Amazing stuff. Sharp football analysis, articles, the whole bit, everything there. He's killing it every year. He calls himself just a man, but he's one of the best fantasy minds out there, anywhere that you're going to find. Rich, it's a pleasure getting you on the mailbag. Awesome as always. Absolutely. Uh, love coming on the show. I open to anything for Rotoviz. Uh, be on the lookout for the, the book, the team yep. preview, Warren Sharp Football Book. And remember, everything I'm doing this offseason is uh, completely no paywall. Everything's open to the public. So go over there and check out all the articles I've written. You're the man. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at randallrant. 
Make sure you tell a friend and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.